Galatians chapter 4. I want to bring a message to you on Adoption Sunday entitled, Adoption is the Heart of the Gospel. Adoption is the heart of the gospel. As you're turning to Galatians chapter 4, I want to read just a short note to you sent by one of the families who we were able to help through Micah's Hope Adoption Fund. This may be the first Sunday you've ever heard of the Micah's Hope Adoption Fund. That is a ministry which began in this church in 2008. We had a young family who had a young son, Micah, who was born with a genetic uh, disorder, genetic disease. And he passed away after 10 months. And this church and several other churches and individuals, um, we had a one-day offering at this church and took in almost $40,000 to help with their medical expenses. You did that because you loved the Lord and you just gave. I know many of you, I know stories of many of you who sold your belongings so that this family would never have to worry about a dime of expense. And not only our church, but other churches did that, and individuals did that. And, and it all told over $100,000 came in for Micah Fleming. And Micah, in God's providence, was with us 10 months, and then he went home. He went to be with the Lord. And we had uh, money left. All of it had not been spent. And all of the bills that would come in came in, and they were all paid, and there was still money left. And so, through a lot of prayer... Uh, And talking with some people, I went to the Flemings, Travis and Susan, in Germania Springs in the pavilion and had a picnic lunch and shared with them the idea, which I believe God had laid on my heart, just saying, listen, what if in 20 years you're sitting in a church service and after the service is over, a hundred children and their families are on our front lawn picture being taken because you didn't use the money left over to build a building which would have been nice to maybe just one time give away in some other capacity but you used it to start to seed a fund which would be then carried on by God's people through His grace and through His provision and that from now on there would be a Micah's Hope Fund that would help families Christian families adopt children from all over the world And they prayed about it, and they were excited about it, and so we began. And nine children in the last two years have homes. From the Ukraine, from Russia, from China, from from, um, Uganda, we we have children who have come home. And it is because of the faithfulness of God, and the faithfulness of God through this body in particular. And so... Uh, that's what Micah's Hope is. And at the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to give. Every dime, every penny will go to help a child come home. None of it will go to administrative cost. None of it goes for advertisement. None of it goes for any other purpose except to pay a bill so a child can come home. That's what you're giving to if you choose to give today. And I pray you do. And so this is one of our families, Jason and Melanie Hall. And they have a son named Grant. And then they adopted from the Ukraine, uh, Inna and Vitaly. And this is what they said. To Grace Fellowship, we will not be there in person for Orphan Sunday this year, but wanted to remind each of you how much your church means to our family. We will never forget the way that God used you in our family's adoption. We will never forget the gift you have given us, 
Not only the generous financial gift that allowed us to complete our adoption when we were in a financial bind in the Ukraine, but also the gift of an amazing testimony of God's faithfulness. As you remember, the Halls were in Ukraine to adopt one child, and the government required them to adopt brother and sister to come home with any children. And they didn't have the money for it. And we got a call from Lifeline, and Micah's Hope responded immediately with the money to adopt the second child. So both children got to come home. We overcome. We were overcome by the blood. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And because of your church's giving, we have had the opportunity to give testimony to numerous people of how church that had never met us, but has a heart for adoption and a heart after God's own will, gave to our family in such a huge way. We have seen so many eyes fill with tears as we have shared the story of your giving. We also love that not only does your church have a vision for orphans, but you have members who are adopting orphans and bringing them home to themselves. We pray that God would bless your church and Micah's hope more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Hope to see you soon. Jason, Melanie, Inna, Grant, and Vitaly. That's just one. If we'd, we'd allowed all the families, they all could have written much more than even that. But that's a thank you. That's a testimony to you, to God's grace in you and through you. That's what today uh, is partially about. It's not all about that, um, but it is partially about that. Adoption is an issue in the world today. Many people are in the process of adopting children both in the U.S. and around the world. We've seen that there's great need. UNICEF tells us 143 million children go to bed each night without a home, without a family, without a mama or a daddy. That's what UNICEF recognizes based on the numbers given to them by governments around the world. That is not, we believe, an accurate reflection of all of the children that are fatherless in our world today. That is not accurate because we can't be accurate. Because governments are not completely honest. We know from our own experience that China, in our case, had turned in a number, about half of the children which were in the orphanage over the capacity of the orphanage were not ever mentioned and never turned in to any official stats. And so if you multiply that by thousands of orphanages just in China, you understand 143 million is really... Just a small reflection of what's going on in our world. That doesn't count in South America. The millions of children that wander along streets at night looking for cardboard places to lay their heads under cars, under eaves of houses trying to stay out of the weather and away from robbers, pimps, and the prostitution trade. That is the reflection of just a small number, that 143. Upward estimates of Christian agencies is around 210 million children will go to bed tonight with no home. And that itself is only a guess. So adoption and orphans are a real issue in our world today. And I use this term issue because that's what it's known as in our world. In the secular world, adoption has caught fire. You've seen it on the pages of the tabloids and on the commercials, and I don't want to denigrate what great uh, benevolence is being done by movie stars and by businessmen in our world, because I'm thankful that those children are being adopted. But I'm also afraid that adoption has become a symbol for wealth. 
and a way for people to alleviate the hard feelings they have about themselves and the wealth which they have. Adoption has now moved from being an issue to a symbol. I'm a good person. I must be or I wouldn't have taken this child in. I want the world to see me as a good person. That's the way the world is beginning to see it. They see it as a merit badge. Like they're becoming an Eagle Scout. This is the last rung. I've become a good person. I'm acceptable. You must love me because I love this poor little child. That's the way the stories are often told in our world by our culture. You see, that's not the way Christians should view. That's not how I want you to view adoption. That's not our vision of what adoption is. Adoption is not an issue for Christians. Children are not an issue. They're not a symbol. Adoption is the very heart of our gospel message. Adoption is the center of Christianity. It's at the very center of who we are as people. It's not a peripheral issue. If you do not have a heart for adoption, then it's safe to say that you do not have a good grasp of what the gospel is. If if you don't have a burden for adoption, I think you might have missed it. You may have missed the main central point of what salvation is. And I say that, and you say, well, I'm not called to adopt anybody. Well, we'll get to that a little later, but I'm I'm not pressing everybody in the room to bring home a child, though that would be a work of God, and I would praise Him for it. But if you look at adoption and don't see the gospel, you've missed the gospel. You don't understand your relationship with our Father in heaven. That, that's what I'm saying. Listen to the words of a more, more astute, more respected theologian. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, chapter 19. I read it as a college sophomore. I'll never forget how it impacted my life. I would recommend it to you. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. I, I didn't, this country kid from Mississippi I did not make that up. The statement that if you don't get it, you don't get the gospel, this man did. He said that. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thoughts of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, his prayer, his outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So if you don't understand adoption, J.I. Packer says, I say, many other respected men say, the Bible says you don't get it. You don't understand who you are in Christ. I want to bring a sermon to you today out of Galatians 4. And I have three points to make in the first seven verses. And then uh, I want to give some applications. Some ways for you to go home and put this message directly to work in your life. First of all, we are... We were at one time slaves to sin and slaves to demons. Slaves to sins and slaves to demons. All of us were at one time. That's why I said in the prayer, help us not to think of ourselves as an orphan, a poor little orphan in an orphanage. We were in some way orphaned. But we weren't just simply neutral. We weren't simply victims. We were enemies of God. We were enemies. Look at the first three verses. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. 
though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that by nature are not God's. We were slaves to sins, the elementary principles of this world. And we were slaves to demons, those who by nature are not gods. But we were enslaved to them. Both. Okay? So you weren't neutral. Before you knew Christ, you were His enemy. Sworn enemy. Until your last breath, you sought to bring down His name and exalt the name of yourself or some other. And so I want to talk a little about the background here. Who are these Galatian Christians? Well, they're mainly Gentiles. Predominantly, the church at Galatia is made up of Gentiles. That's why Paul, when talking about this passage, talks about those who were enslaved to the law as a tutor, which we find out in Galatians 3. But he also, notice in verse 3, talks about the elemental principles of this world. That's not the law. I misunderstood that for a long time. I thought he was equating the two things. No. You were in one of two categories prior to Christ. You were either a natural-born Jew. If you were a natural-born Jew in Paul's day, you were enslaved, placed under the law as a tutor to show you that you are a sinner and you could not earn your salvation, that you needed a Savior, someone who could keep the law because you couldn't keep it. That was one set of people. Most of the Galatians didn't fit in that category. There were a small group that were. And we're going to bring up why he brought that group in to his discussion in just a moment. The second group are the elemental principles of this world, those who were enslaved to the gods who were not really gods. Gentile believers. Gentile believers prior to coming to Christ were pagan. Completely and utterly, most of them, without any connection to Jehovah at all. They were worshiping other gods, which by nature are not gods. They were following, maybe not a god, maybe they didn't go to a statue. Possibly they were just following the elemental principles of this world. The natural law, which is written on all of our hearts. Maybe, maybe so. But you're in one of two camps prior to Christ. You are either a natural born Jew keeping the outward law as a restraint on you. It can't save you. That's what Paul would say. It can't save you. It can make you a, a, a person who following the rituals will be a person who is following a pattern which should point them to Christ. But if they're following that pattern as if it is the real thing, they'll miss the whole point. And they will be worshiping a false religion. That was most of Israel. It was the majority of Israel in Paul's day and prior to Paul. Or either they were in the world and they were following the principles of the world. And so, Paul says, prior to Christ, we were all slaves under something. We weren't free. We weren't free. Now, why would he bring up the issue of the law to a bunch of Gentiles who weren't really under the law? Because by the time this letter is written, a group known as the Judaizers has come to Galatia the province there in Asia Minor, and has begun to teach that if you really, you Gentiles really want to be saved, you have to follow the law. You have to come underneath the law. You can't be saved outside of the law. 
It's necessary. You have to have it. You have to keep the rituals, keep the commandments, keep the 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 uh, the religion which God has passed down, and He passed it to us, and we're here to give it to you. It dominates Paul's thought in this whole letter. If you go back to verse uh, chapter one, he's going to say, "Who has bewitched you? Who has fooled you? Listen." If someone comes preaching another gospel, which is not a gospel, there because there is no other gospel, let him be accursed. If he's an angel, let him be accursed. If it's me, let me be accursed. If anyone preaches another gospel to you, let him be accursed. Now, what's the other gospel? The other gospel is the keeping of the law. You, having begun by the Spirit, now will complete what your salvation comes to you through your works. How? If you started by the Spirit, you have to end by the Spirit. You can't keep the law unto salvation. You can't do it. So he brings the law into this passage because these Gentiles who were not formerly under the law, they didn't even know about it. They were following the principles of this world. Now have been introduced to the law of God by a cult, by a sect, which is not the gospel. And they're falling into it. They're reverting back to a Jewish way of life, which Paul says will damn you. If you do that, you will die and go to hell. If you're trusting your works this morning, if you're trusting anything but the, but the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope. That's what Paul would say. We were at one time slaves to sin and to demons. We were. And so secondly, we see in this passage that we are adopted on the basis of God's plan to send His Son in the flesh to redeem us. Why then was the law in the world, Paul tells us? Because the law entered that we might not foolishly go on thinking we were keeping uh, a good relationship with God, but rather would know that we were sinners. If you had gone to a good Jew, they wouldn't have told you they had kept the law. A good Jew would have said, I've failed, but I've, I've offered sacrifice. I've kept the code. I've followed the rituals. I'm okay. They wouldn't have believed themselves to be perfect. The law had showed them they were not perfect. They already knew they needed a Savior. And His, his name was Messiah. And the plan for a Savior didn't come in the New Testament. It was prior to the creation of the world. Look in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you wanted to choose a verse to tell someone the gospel, This is a good verse to choose. This is a great verse to choose. Let's look at it together closely. The fullness of time had come. When was the fullness of time? The fullness of time was when the command went forth that all should be counted. And so they returned to their hometowns. And Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem and a son was born to them. This is the fullness of time. Jesus Christ came into the world by a woman. But when the fullness of time had come, He was born of a woman. Right? 
He's born of a woman. Then how was he born? Under the law. He was born not only under from a woman, but under the law. Jesus Christ wasn't born outside the law. He didn't get to skip the tutoring of the law. He rather lived under that tutor, that guardian, perfectly for 33 years. He kept the law. Matthew chapter 5 tells us Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to keep the law. law. He kept every jot, every mark, every dot, every slash of the law. He kept every bit of it perfectly. He didn't come to do away with it, but to fulfill it. And He was born of a woman under the law. But why was He born under that law? To help us get under the law? No. Look what the next phrase is. To redeem us. To redeem us who were under the law. Jesus didn't come keep the law and then say, keep the law. Jesus came and said, I kept the law. I finished the law. You don't need the law. You need me. And look what happens. Can I just tell you, when he went to the cross and he died there, he was under the law. He was under the law in his life by keeping the law, doing what God had commanded to be done. But he was under the law on that cross as one guilty of the law. How could he be guilty? Because he came to redeem those under the law. What made him guilty? He took your sin on himself. He died before God the Father as one guilty of breaking every law in every way possible. He died to redeem those under the law. So the message of the church is not the law. The law is a tutor, it is a guardian, it is a helper to keep us until the fullness of time. And when the fullness of time came, Christ was born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law. And for most of us, sadly, we stop there. You don't have a comma in your mind. You have a period. I'm redeemed. We sing about it. Redemption. We talk about it, redemption. We think about justification a lot around here. We talk about it a lot. But I'm afraid we miss half of the passage, half of that verse. The reason I said this verse is the perfect verse, if you're looking for one verse to teach the gospel, he was born of a woman under the law to do what? Redeem those who are under the law. Not period, comma, so that. Purpose calls so that we might receive adoption as sons. Don't put a period beyond Jesus Christ paid for my sin. Period. No. Jesus Christ kept the law, took my sin, paid the price, and now I'm adopted through Him. That's the back half of the Gospel. That's why I said adoption's at the heart of the message of the Gospel. And unfortunately, a lot of us have missed the heart. We've missed the whole point. We see God as this judge in black robe, sitting on a bench, hardened in His justice against us. 
And at best we see him as one who looked to his son and his son said, I'll take his sin. And we're free now from the penalty of sin. But we never graduate, unfortunately, to where Paul was, where he no longer saw God with robes on as a judge or sitting on a bench, but farther than that, sitting with arms open, welcoming his children into his lap to love them and lavish the inheritance on them in Christ. We miss the gospel when we talk only about a judicial, legal act. It's more than that. It's a relationship. You are not just freed from sin. You are now God's son. And notice I haven't yet said daughters. Don't be offended, ladies. God doesn't call you daughters in this respect. If you were a daughter, you would have no inheritance. He calls you sons, even you women who are in Christ. He calls you sons. Why? Because it is the son who inherits everything. If he calls you a daughter, then you're second class. But at the foot of the cross, as it says in Galatians, there is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. But at the foot of the cross, there is those adopted by God's grace. Sons of God. And so God no longer looks and says, He no longer looks and says, Eric, I've set you free. Go do the best you can from this day forward. He doesn't look at us and say, I've got you back to zero. Now get busy and earn some merit. He looks at us and says, You are my enemy. And through my son, who was born of a woman, born under the law, who died to redeem you, you're at zero. But he not only brought you to zero, he not only got you out of negative back to neutral, he did something more amazing. He named you by name and called him you his brother. And so you now have his merit. So may I ask you, saved person, Why are you now working as if you must prove something to God? As if you must earn His love? Why? Do you pridefully think that you can do works greater than Christ's? When we open the treasure trove of heaven, the treasure chest, we have all of this treasure. And do you really think that you'll be able to walk up and say, oh, that, that one right there is mine. See it? Look at it. Isn't it marvelous? No. On that day when the treasure of heaven is opened, it will all say, Christ. And then it will say, to my brothers. Legally, we now own everything that Christ has. And so, He not only redeemed us, He has adopted us. He is no longer a judge, He is a Father. That's why the Jews, when Jesus taught His people how to pray, and He uttered the words, Our Fathers, eyes, I imagine, opened all over the pasture. Did you hear that? He dares to call God His Father and tell us to call God our Father? The answer of Jesus would be yes. Yes. 
So adoption is the center. We are adopted on the basis of God's plan to send His Son of a woman under the law to redeem us from under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I just make the subtle point here. He makes it further in the chapter. We're not going to get there today. You will never be returned to the law. There won't ever be a period in God's unfolding of history where we have to go back to the ritual and the shadow. Because Christ is the fulfillment. Therefore, we have Him. We have no need of the shadows. We have no need of those things. It brings Him no glory to reinstitute them. It would be like having your father here and bypassing him and going over there to something else. He's saying, come to me. And so there'll be no detours. We'll go straight to Christ and through him to our father. Third, we experience adoption today through the spirit of God that lives in us. The last point I make here in this text is that we who were enemies of God in verses 1 through 3, following the elementary principles of this world, worshiping demons, that was us, have been adopted by the plan of God through His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law. Then, not only that, but we don't wait for an experience of adoption. We have the experience of adoption. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is a primal cry. Have you ever heard your child cry out because they were either in pain or some big bully had them by the neck and they cried out, Abba, Daddy, help. That's what this verse is talking about. When did that cry happen? It happened at your regeneration. You were held by the law or by the elemental principles of this world tight. You could not get out. You were a slave to them. And God sent the spirit of his son into you made your heart alive, and the first thing you did was cry out to Him as your daddy, save me, help me. And God responds every time to that cry. He saves everyone who cries out to Him from the grasp of that slavery. Daddy, help me. He never turns them away. He never turns them away. And so we have it here. We have the experience of adoption because His Spirit lives in us And is crying out, not only that one time, but from that point, always crying out in words that we can't even understand, Romans 8 says, crying out to uh, the Father on our behalf. The Spirit is the proof of our adoption. For so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so we come to this day talking about adoption. And I want to make some application quickly. First of all, I want to challenge you as a church, as individuals, as small groups, as families, study the doctrine of adoption. Study it. Here are some tools that I found helpful as I have studied over the years, and I'm sure you will find them helpful. 
First of all, knowing God by J.I. Packer. I mentioned it earlier. Get it if you don't have it. If you have it, go home and pull it off the shelf. Go to chapter 19. He deals with adoption in depth. Knowing God. Then also a book written by Sinclair Ferguson. Children of the Living God. Children of the Living God. Great book. Easy to read. Simple to understand, which will drive you to worship of your Father. And then a more technical book, but one that you should read nonetheless. Don't be afraid of it. Adopted by God. And it was written by Trevor Burke. You can study Romans 8. Anything that John Owen has written on Romans 8, you need it. You can get it on the internet probably, but you need it. He does a helpful job. Galatians 3 and 4. James chapter 1. Verses 21 through 27. And an Old Testament passage, Ezekiel chapter 16. You will come to find that adoption is the center. If you get it, you get the message. You got it. Okay? It's that vital, so I challenge you to study it. And what you will find is that you, your salvation is not unlike the salvation of His people in the Old Covenant. He adopted them too. This has always been the way God saved mankind, through adoption. Okay. Secondly, you can and should be, and hopefully already are, but if not, today's a good day to start. Praying. You should be praying for orphans. You don't have to go looking to see if God would approve of it. James 1.27 makes that a very basic thing you can do. Religion, which is pure and undefiled before the Father, is to help, to visit, to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. So from that verse we know you're never wrong to pray. Okay, Matthew 25, when you did something to the least of these, Christ says you have done it unto me. So pray for them. Third, serve the orphans of our world. Serve them. Serve them. Um, we have been blessed here to have Elizabeth and Caitlin, uh, Jamie and Amy, and uh, Jesse Harcrow and Keith, who's now moved away. All of those individuals have been to other countries, to orphanages. Rod Campbell also. Uh, Jennifer, uh, some of her work in Egypt was also with orphans. And Sprayberry, goodness, the list is just getting longer and longer. This is coming back and I'll probably miss somebody. And if I did, could you just wave at me? Okay. And then we won't even get into how many of you have worked at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home because that would be just about everybody in the room. You're already helping orphans and you're already serving them. But I'm calling on you to double the commitment, to, to pray about it. How, not pray if God would have you to go. That's the wrong prayer. God would have you go. Where will I go? When will I go? And how will I get there is the prayer. Because He wants you to go. I, you say, well, I haven't felt it. You don't have to feel it. It's in the Scriptures. It's a direct word from God. Go. And I don't care if it's go to Oxford and talk to Ted and the people there about helping orphans in our community. Or if it's talking about how to get to Uganda to a ministry you're going to know more about here in the next few weeks, I pray. 
and Trip Skipper and his ministry where they're building an entire village for orphans in Uganda so that children will be raised in their culture, nurtured by Christian families and sent out as college graduates into Ugandan culture to change it for Christ. Maybe you need to go to Uganda for a month or two. I don't know. I can't tell you where to go, but I can say with absolute unreserve, you need to go. Go. Serve orphans. Serve them. Third, give. Give. This is the cop-out for us, but we don't need to just say, well, that's a cop-out. I'm not going to give because I'm going to go. No, we need to give too. But I say it's a cop-out because that's the easiest thing for Americans to do is give some money. We need to give money followed up by prayer about how we're going to get on the field and actually serve these young ones. But we need to give. Don't make any doubt about that. And I'm going to give an opportunity, we are, to give to Micah's Hope at the end of this service. And I've already told you about Micah's Hope. And I would just say, you, you, you will not have wasted one dime giving it to Micah's Hope. We have families waiting. The Hickson family lives, in, uh, um, lives outside of Birmingham, has applied, and we need funds to help them. They're a real family headed to China to adopt a real child with real needs. He right now cannot walk, and they're hoping to get him home in time to help him be able to walk. It's a real, real child. The Campbells, right here in our midst, have launched out to adopt a child, a little boy from Ethiopia. And, and they're going to need our help. And Micah's hope that's what, it, that's what it was put together for. And so I don't have any problem saying give to the offering today. If you don't have the money today, give tomorrow, give next week. Give Give, give. Foster children through the Alabama Baptist Children's Home. I didn't have them come to simply have them come. But this is a real ministry right here at home. I talked with Ted earlier. The need may be greater now, Ted, but I'll give them the number you gave me a while back. And I just said, Ted, how many families will it take? If we could give you a number of families, what number? He said, well, uh, ten families who are, adopt, who are, are fostering full-time and then some relief parents, some respite parents, ten families. So I've been praying. I haven't told you until today that I've been praying. And I pray that something that was said, done, watched, heard today has already pricked your heart. And I'm telling you, I want you to go see Ted at the end of the service and say, what's the process? I just need to know how can we do it. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I've prayed, I've prayed not that 10 will come from somewhere, but that they will come from here. If we get eight, I'll be happy. If we get five, I'll be happy. If we get one, I'll be happy. We already got one. If we get two, I'll be happy, okay? But I'm asking God to stir in our hearts. And I'll get to why in a minute. Adopt. Adopt. I don't want to say any more about that. Adopt. Share the story of adoption with lost friends, neighbors, and co-workers. Tell them about Micah's hope. Tell them about children coming home to Christian families. Tell them why we push for them to come home to Christian families. Tell them it's because we have been adopted by our Heavenly Father. Share the gospel through this ministry. That's our prayer. That's our hope. So I close with this, and we'll be done. Um, I... I'm a, I'm a child of adoption. My father abandoned our family when I was about six months old 
And my mom and my grandparents raised me and my sister until I was five. And in God's good providence, He put a man in my mom's life who not only married her, but adopted me as His son. And God, in His further goodness, saved me through that. I no longer needed anyone to talk to me about salvation. I lived through it. I lived through it. I sat in a courtroom and had it done to me physically. And it just made it easy to understand. And it made it simple. It made it real. And I believed. I'm a child of adoption. I would have told you four or five years ago, I understood all there was to know about adoption because I had been adopted. And then God blessed us as a family. He blessed us. He did not bless Lily. He blessed us. And this is why I say that. Because the experience. You say, I'm thinking about adoption, but it's just a big thing. Yes. It will cost you somewhere between eighteen dollars and $26,000. It will cost you. But most of us drive cars that cost that much. If we don't own one car that costs that much, the two combined cost that much. All of us live in houses that cost that much. And that's not wrong. I'm just giving you some perspective. In our lifetimes, we will spend that much on gifts to our own family who already have everything they need. I'm just putting it in some perspective because the number seems big and it is big and it is a sacrifice. But why I say God blessed us, Amy and I, and our children is because the gospel has become real. We understand now a little bit better what it's like to plan for a daughter to sacrifice for her. My children have sacrificed. We have sacrificed. We understand what it's like to go in an initiative way to her. She did not come to us. Neither did we come to God. But we went to her and God came to us. I know what it, a little of what it's like to go into a prison called an orphanage. And to walk past 250 children. Because there was one that was mine. So that's not just. Go home and think about it. Sure, it's just. What about the 250? What about the one? None of them deserved me to come and get them. None of them. So the fact that I went for one doesn't mean that I'm an unjust person. Just like when God saves you and doesn't save your neighbor, He's not unjust. Think about it. It helped me understand it. It takes God's sovereignty out of some bubble of academia and puts it in real life. That's all I'm saying. And then we brought her home and introduced her into a family. And she's been received that way. Matter of fact, I think she sat with Tamara and Carlton the whole... She's still there? And now she switched. She's with Susie now. You are her uncles and aunts and granddads and grandmoms and brothers and sisters. You are her family. 
And that's what God does in salvation. He takes us not just to himself, but he places us in a family. That was not our own, that did not exist, but it was created by the will and the love of God. And so I say she has been a gift to us because we have received vast more treasure because of her than we have invested in her. And there's where the analogy a little breaks down. That's where it breaks down. Because I sacrificed. Others sacrificed so she could come home. But nothing in comparison to God's sacrifice. Not even worth counting inside beside it. I went to her and it was a long distance to get to her. Not near the distance between God and me. Not nearly. I got her out of a prison and brought her to a home. But that prison was a Hilton compared to the prison of my sin. And the home I brought her to (laughs) is so not worthy to be counted to the home he's put us in. And so when we look at adoption, it's an earthly analogy. It only goes so far. His love is greater. His love is wider. His love is deeper. It is more than we could imagine. But He has lavished it on us through His Son. And so I make no apology for calling everybody in here to get in the fight and to physically get active in orphan care. It will change your life. It will make a difference. It has been a blessing to her, though. And I just want to say, I have to talk out of my experience because that's what I've had. Rebecca could share for hours about her experience. Rebecca Allen's here. Her son Josiah is here. And you need to go see him um, so that you could see part of the fruit of your giving. He came home from Russia. And she could share just just tremendous stories. But let me just share this with you. She has received something. She has received, for all of our warts, a Christian family who sits around the table at night and reads the Scriptures and prays. And now she prays. We sing, and now she sings. We love people, and now she loves people. We feel emotions, and now she feels emotions for the first time in her life. All I'm saying is is that it's not just about getting them in some home. We want them in your home because they are safe in a Christian home. And they can know their Father, their Father, our Father in heaven. That's our goal. That's our call. Let's pray together. Let's ask Him to work in this time. And then we'll have a few instructions and go home, Father.